the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. I want to uh, revisit something we touched upon earlier in the program, and that was Christopher Ray's testimony before Senate Oversight Committee yesterday. We talked about uh, Ray's inability to uh, provide a cause of death for uh, Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, even though uh, even two months after the fact, even knowing what we know from his brother about the communication he had with uh, Brian Sicknick the, the, the night after the uh, rioting occurred. We uh, talked a bit about uh, what the left's endgame is here with uh, these uh, hearings and the 9-11 style commission for January 6th that has been promoted. And um, I wanted to get to an exchange between Louisiana Senator John Kennedy and FBI Director Ray on the matter of law enforcement intelligence, who knew what when and the decisions that were made. And here again, two months later, and Christopher Ray has nothing to offer, the FBI director has nothing to offer that is not already in the public arena that we don't already know. I think we can agree that the FBI had credible information that there was likely to be violence from January 6th. Can we agree on that? Well, well I don't know that we had assessed its credibility. We certainly had information that was concerning uh, about the potential for violence uh, in connection with the January 6th events. And as we've discussed here this morning, right, the one piece of information that was most specific uh, that I'm aware of was passed, uh, you know, quite well, quickly. Yeah, it was passed on to local officials, but then it gets pretty hazy in terms of uh, Ray's understanding of what occurred. I would defer to others who were more involved in that discussion, but from what I have heard, what I have read, uh, my understanding is that uh, at one stage of the process, the uh, local government was of the view that it did not need the National Guard's assistance. Who do you mean by the local government? The mayor? Yes. Um, so and, the, and ma- the mayor didn't call out the National Guard? At the, at the beginning. Uh, what do you mean by the beginning? Well, you know, in the day or two leading up to the 6th. Okay. Then, as to exactly how it played out on the sixth itself, you know, I'm not as sure I'm, about. I'm, yeah. I mean, clearly. Our- yeah, he's not as sure about. It. Well, you know, Muriel Bowser, the mayor of D.C., tweeted out on January fifth that she didn't want the National Guard effectively. Uh, and what do we know about uh, the FBI intel that was concerning, according to Ray, being passed on to local law enforcement, being passed on to the House and Senate sergeants at arms and what they did or didn't communicate with their superiors? He has nothing to say. Two months later. So you know what? I'm in agreement with Nancy Pelosi, 9-11 Commission, but we need better interrogators, frankly, than John Kennedy to get to the truth of the matter and to hold people like Christopher Ray accountable for real answers that we can't find on Twitter if we do a search on Muriel Bowser. 
For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Arthur Bloom, editor of the American Conservative Online. Arthur, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, glad to be here. Your impressions of what Christopher Ray had to offer or didn't have to offer more to the point yesterday. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, Chris Ray is, is absolutely a creature of the sort of FBI, pure permanent bureaucracy. He's sort of like the John Bolton of, uh, of the United States. He wants to you know, increase the FBI's power, but he doesn't actually have answers to give when, when it's down to the wire like this. But you, you made the point earlier about uh, having better interrogators than John Kennedy, and I think that's exactly right. As we're wrangling over this commission that, that it looks like we're going to get, there's the question of what the commission's going to look like, and uh, it, it's absolutely imperative that we have subpoena power. The Republicans on the committee have subpoena power, but if uh, it also matters once they get that power what they do with it. And if it's going to be people like Kennedy asking the questions, I don't have a whole lot of faith that they're going to be asking the right ones. Right. I mean, you know, two months after this, and it seems almost like there's a, a, a interference campaign being run to protect Capitol Police to some extent. But really, sergeants at arms and the politicians they report to in both the House and the Senate in terms of who knew what, when and what were the discussions and the decisions that were made. We know Muriel Bowser's because she tweeted it out on January 5th. But but those other politicians who have run around excoriating Trump and trying to uh, brand all Trump voters insurrectionists, we've heard a little bit uh, less from a lot less from in terms of what they knew and what they did. Right. And uh, one of the groups, so, so Ray said there in that clip you just played, that uh, they hadn't vetted the intelligence about whether it was credible that there was going to be violence that day. And I just I find that awfully hard to believe. We now know there, there have been a number of revelations in, the, in, the, in recent weeks about some of these more hard edged groups that were there at the riot that day, including the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. And it turns out pretty high up members of both of them have been FBI informants for quite some time including the, the leader of the Proud Boys. He was described by Reuters as being a prolific snitch for law enforcement going back to 2014. And uh, it, there are some clips that have come out of the riot, too. Um, I, I saw there was a, a set of videos shared by Richard Vigory, who's, who's no slouch. I mean, he's, he's a uh, pretty legendary conservative organizer that show Proud Boys coming out from behind police lines and then being exfiltrated again after sort of stirring up the crowd. And, and so it, it's absolutely reasonable to ask, are there sort of provocateurs? Are there instigators in the crowd there? And are they acting as informants at the same time? Those are the sorts of questions that, that Republicans need to be asking. So they need to have the ability to ask the questions, but they also need to be willing to ask them. And both of those are, are sort of in the balance at this point. And when you have a professional leftist a political operatives who sort of hide behind uh, titles they've enjoyed that they probably should have never enjoyed, like former CIA Director John Brennan, argue this in response to the testimony Ray offered and the uh, inquisition by Republicans. Uh, it speaks to, I think, what's really at play here. Listen to Brennan. Well, I must say, to Claire's point, I'm increasingly embarrassed to be a white male these days. I mean, what a, <laughs> like of what I see of my right. other white males saying. But it, it just shows that with, the, with very few exceptions, like Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, there are so few Republicans in Congress who value truth honesty and integrity. That was the takeaway. It was an identitarian political play. And by the way, as a white male, we're not exactly over the moon about John Brennan either. Right. And uh, we, we actually ran a profile attack about Richard Burr, who was the uh, chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee until very recently. And uh, when he first got the job, what he uh, what he said was, 
I hope to earn the respect of the intelligence community. Mind you, this is the guy who's supposed to be overseeing them. And that's kind of indicative of the mentality of a lot of these Republicans is that they want to earn the trust of the deep state rather than the other way around. Uh, and there just needs to be a change of attitude there because uh, I made this point in my piece. Uh, if you look you know, during the Reagan years, the deep state was to a large extent on Republican side. Uh, you had people within the Reagan administration that were, let's just say, fudging the rules a little bit, guys like Oliver North. Uh, right. And he basically got away with the whole thing. And whether that was good or bad, we could debate. But uh, compare that to Mike Flynn or some of the Russiagate stuff where they've been totally under a microscope by some of the largest law enforcement institutions in the country. It's just night and day. And, and so if the deep state is now against Republicans, Republicans in Congress need to take a little bit more of a skeptical tone with them uh, on the Hill. I want to uh, tackle something else that you wrote. Uh, you wrote about, you know, in the wake of Trump's much anticipated speech on Sunday at CPAC and the uh, subsequent debate that has been you know, raging uh, since the election, the future of the Republican Party, Trump's role in it, Trumpism's role in it, if you will, the Gen X governors who are ascendant that are Trump supporters like Noam and DeSantis. You uh, write about Trump's future depending on moving the uh, populist attitude forward. What does moving that forward look like to you? Well, it, it means endorsing candidates other than the ones that Mitch McConnell wants to be, uh, to, to be running. Uh, I, I, whether, I mean, of course, that battle needs to be negotiated, and, and in specific instances, we'll have to see. But uh, Mitch McConnell's choice for Ohio Senate, I mean, I think that might be not the one we want to be picking. And, and what, the reason why I made that point is, is I think at the CPAC poll, it was weaker than everybody was expecting. After the election, uh, you know, after, after the jubilation that we got from the mainstream media, um, the, the next point that everybody started making was that Trump still has this incredible psychic hold on the party. It turns out from the CPAC party uh, uh, straw poll that that's not quite true. Uh, his numbers were considerably weaker than I think anybody was expecting them to be. I, I think only 55% of CPAC attendees that did the straw poll want to see him run in, or, or pick him as the number one 2024 contender. And that other 45%, those aren't, I, I think not all of them are going to be establishment types. They're probably also Trumpists, but they just think somebody else should be picking up the baton and carrying it forward from here. Uh, and so that, that psychic hold is not quite as strong as they think it is. And so if Trump wants to maintain his, his sort of dominance, he actually has to continue to be who he was in 2016. That's the point I was trying to make. He is Arthur Bloom, editor of the American Conservative Online, theamericanconservative.com. Arthur, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Take care. Take care. Good seat and sharpen your pencils. Class is in session with Professor Dan Proft and the Dan Proft Show.